Christmas changed everything. Israel's prophesied ruler, but so much more. He turned instinctive fear into unexpected joy. Transcendent God, who came as a baby in a manger. Christmas. We had some great services around here last weekend. I don't know if you caught the number on the back of the bulletin or not, but we had the highest attendance we've ever had, um, 4,274 at all three of our campuses. So we're excited about that. I don't believe we've ever been over 4,000, so we sort of blew that away last weekend. Really uh, appreciate you being here and appreciate you inviting people and being a part of that. Uh, all that went on last weekend. You know, typically at this time of year, People like to talk about the magic of Christmas. And we get that. We get the sentimental side of things with the, the, your friends and our family and the gifts and the lights and the presents. You know, you know, we all experience that and appreciate that. But what's more amazing about Christmas isn't the magic. It's the mystery. It's the fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become a man, step down to join himself to a human nature so that infinite God became one person with finite man. I mean, just trying to think about that for a while, it'll blow your mind. That's the most profound miracle, the most profound mystery in all the universe that God would become what often is called the God-man. We talk about that a lot at Christmas, but what we don't often talk about so much is how that step of becoming a man meant that things would change for him for all eternity. Of course, we know that according to Scripture that God never changes. Something that we count on and we can appreciate is the fact that God's called immutable. He doesn't change. So in his nature as God, Jesus didn't change, but he willingly took on another nature, the nature of man. See, before Christ came to earth, he was a spirit, like God the Father, like the Holy Spirit. He, he wasn't a man. He didn't have a human nature. And as we look at Scripture, of course, we know there are a few times prior to his birth here on earth that he showed up and he personified himself and appeared as a man. Those appearances were tangible to the human senses. So you, you could see him in some cases and even touch him. And those appearances and others that were similar to them have typically been categorized by theologians in several different ways. Some are considered to be what they call theophanies, which are appearances of God himself. Others are called Christophanies. More specifically, they are appearances of Christ. And then some are what scholars call angelophanies, so we're talking about appearances of actual angels. With each of those categories, scholars debate the specific appearances and whether they're theophanies, whether it's a Christophany, whether it's an angelophany. It's something they argue back and forth. But I believe we do see Christ appearing in some of those instances. And even though he appeared like a man, that didn't make him a man. He still didn't have a human nature. It was just like with the angels, who we know are spiritual beings, but we see them appearing as men at times in Scripture. 
but they never actually became a man. It's the same way with Jesus. Before coming to earth, he wasn't a man, but then he came. As John puts it, the word became flesh, right? That's a totally different level than any of those appearances. He now has the nature of a man. See, Christmas did change everything, not just for us, but for him as well. Think about it. In all of eternity, he'd never been a man, but from that point on until this very moment, right now, he is God and man. And now and forever, he will always be God and man. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, we know when he was resurrected, it was what we call a bodily resurrection, right? Because he wasn't just a spirit walking around. He was alive again physically. And he still has that resurrected body today in heaven. Colossians 2.9 tells us, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. It dwells, present tense, right now. All the fullness of deity dwells right now in bodily form. See that same body that was born in Bethlehem, that body that walked the roads of Galilee, that body that hung on the cross, that's the body he still has today. There's just something about that, to think about that. That God, Jesus would become a man knowing that he would be a man from that point on throughout eternity. I think when we think about Jesus, if we're believers, we tend to think about the fact that he is God. That's very true. It's a truth that is essential to our faith. But what I don't think we focus much on is the fact that when Jesus went back to heaven, he also remained a man. And he'll be a man forever. And why? Why would he be willing to have his circumstances change like that? And why is that important? Why is that important to us, to our lives right now? Well, to get some direction on that, we're going to go back to look at a part of the book of Hebrews. And if you know anything about this book, you know it was written to Jewish believers. And the writer is trying to encourage and challenge people who are facing persecution. And some of them are on the verge of walking away, going back to Judaism. And so he argues for the supremacy of Christ. Basically, the argument is a logical argument. It's all about how since Jesus is supreme... It only makes sense to choose him rather than any other option. When we come to chapter 2, the writer gets on the subject of Jesus becoming a man. And he gives a number of reasons why it was important. So we're going to look at those reasons which will lead us to the importance of the fact that he's still a man today and why that matters to our lives. So let's look at it. And there's a lot in these verses that we're not going to talk about. We're just going to pull out these reasons and those reasons all begin with the word might. There's four of them here, starting in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 2. It says, for, but we do see him who was made for a little while, talking about Jesus, a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise, and again I will put my trust in him. 
And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Well, there's a lot of stuff there. It's a great stuff. If you've never really studied the book of Hebrews, I'd encourage you to do it. It's not the easiest book, but there is, it's so worth it to look into what is taught here. And did you catch that first reason? He became, that the writer of Hebrews tells us he became a man, mentioned in verse 9. We're told he was made for a little while lower than the angels. He's, that little while is talking about the time when he, from when he became a man and before being exalted when he went back to heaven. He was made that way so that it says he might taste death for everyone. He tasted death. It's a great way of putting it. Think, think of tasting something. You know, when you taste something, you experience something, right? We get that. We're in the middle of the holidays. We're eating a lot of stuff and, 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 and tasting a lot of good stuff. I know Luke mentioned at our Christmas Eve services that his favorite food was a honey-baked ham for the holidays. Mine, too. He got it from me. You know? And so uh, this, this, this year, we, I, we ordered a honey-baked ham, and I went out to pick it up uh, Monday morning. And uh, went into up on, on to Monroe Street up in Toledo and, and went into the honey baked ham store. If you've ever been there, it's not a real big place. But when I opened the door, I was blown away. The place was packed. And, I opened, and, and, and immediately when I stepped inside, there was a guy to my left. And so I assumed this is the line. So I just stepped in. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Well, what I didn't do was look back to my right. And when I did, I realized there's a line of ladies all looking at me. And I realized I had made a mistake. And one of them said rather loudly, <laughs> the back of the line is back there. And so I did my walk of shame, passed all of them, went back to the back of the line. I'm standing there in the darkness and I th I'm looking at this crowd of people, and I'm thinking, how many people are in this room? It's not that big. So I started counting. And as close as I could get, there was 50 people in line in front of me. 50 people. I thought, how long is this going to take? But I stayed there because I love honey-baked ham. <laughs> I went through the line. I got it. It was great. I'm still, still, you know, we're still eating off just like everything, whatever you had to eat. I'm sure you're still eating off of it as well. It's great experience. Jesus, his experience, not good. He, he tasted death. He experienced it. And he experienced it fully. That's why it talks about the suffering of death. It's talking about the horrible way that Jesus died. But I think there's also the thought in this that with tasting death, it's pointing to what he experienced as being temporary. Because when you taste something, it doesn't last, does it? It goes away. 
I think that's what we're also told here. It's pointing us to the resurrection. So he tasted it for us all so that, as verse 10 says, to bring many sons to glory. Jesus became a man so that he might taste death for everyone so that he could bring us into relationship with God. And if you haven't entered into a relationship with him, we want you to know today that Jesus provided that opportunity for you. That if you'll admit your sin, ask his forgiveness, trust him, the debt that he paid for you will take care of your sin. Place your trust in his payment and you'll be forgiven and brought into relationship with him. That's what he wants most for you today. That's what we want most for you today. So the first reason he became a man is so that he might taste death for us all. The writer goes on to give us another reason down in verse 14. He says, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. He might render him powerless, the one who had the power of death. So he shared in flesh and blood with us so that he could render the devil powerless. That's some good news, right? He defeated Satan. We know the scriptures teach the reality of the person of Satan. And while he's powerful, he's not all powerful like our Savior is. So when Jesus was crucified, he leveled Satan. That's what we were told was going to happen all the way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. We were told that Satan would strike Jesus on the hill but Jesus would strike Satan on the head. It would be a decisive victory. And that is exactly what happened. It was complete domination. And what an amazing way for him to win victory over death, to die. If death ever looked like it had won, it was when Jesus was hanging there on the cross. If a cause ever looked completely lost, it was then. But remember, he tasted death. It was only temporary. And through death, he rendered powerless him who had the power of death. We know Satan's power of death was gained by tempting Adam and Eve into sin. And because of that sin, death passed on to every one of us. And so Satan had the upper hand with death until Jesus, by dying, left him powerless. And that's why he became a man, to render the devil powerless in regards to death. He no longer has the upper hand. And then we're given the third reason. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. That's really starting to hit home for us now because he defeated Satan, good news, and he did that in order to free us. See, without Christ, death is something to be dreaded, isn't it? And because of that dread, people live as slaves. Oh, they may look like they're having a great time in life, they may feel like they are, but somewhere in their minds, always hanging around are these chains, the dread of not knowing what death is going to bring. When's it going to happen? What's it going to be like? Well, Jesus became a man to set us free from that. His death and victory over it makes death no longer intimidating for us. Instead, it's like what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's better. As he said there in Philippians, it's better by far to be with Christ 
so we no longer dread it. While we love our lives, we aren't hanging on to this life like it's the only thing we have. We have something that's far greater. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, momentary light affliction, what we experience in this lifetime, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. And we can't even begin to imagine how good it's going to be. So in one sense, we can't wait for what's beyond this life. And that's all because he became a man. And then the fourth reason is given. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Verse 17 says, he had to be made like us in all things. He was one of us in every sense of the word. So that as our high priest, he could make propitiation. He could bring satisfaction for the sins of the people. It was t- they were taken care of. The writer expands on this idea over in chapter 4 and verse 14. He says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he tells us here, because we have this great high priest, by the way, this is the only time a high priest is ever called great. This great high priest who passed through the heavens, and there's imagery here, I think, that's reflecting the way the temple in Jerusalem was laid out. If you know how, how the temple was, was, was set up, there was this special area that was set apart from the rest of the portions of the temple by a veil, right? A curtain that hung there. That area was called the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could enter that area. And he could only do that once a year. And he could only do that having been made sure that his own sin had been cleansed. And then, and only then, he would pass through the veil. Well, we're told here, Jesus passed through the heavens. Like those priests would pass through the veil, Jesus passed through the heavens for us so that we could have access to our Father. The Bible, we know, tells us that the veil in the temple was torn in two when Jesus died, showing that access to God was now available. You may not know what happened to the veil after it was torn in two because the Bible doesn't tell us. But Josephus later describes the temple. After Jesus' death and before the destruction of the temple in in 70 AD by the Romans, he describes the temple with the veil hanging there. So they either repaired the veil or they replaced it. which is incredibly sad, isn't it? Because God's all about removing barriers. He removed this barrier for us. That's what he did, but it's so typical of man that we erect our own barriers again. But our great high priest passed through the heavens and opened our entrance to the throne of God. He gave us free access to him. And he's named here, Jesus, which emphasizes his humanity. Son of God, emphasizing his deity. He's 
our great high priest because he's God and he understands being God. And because he's man and he understands being man. In fact, he had to be a man to be named a priest. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1 tells us that every high priest was taken from among men. See, Jesus met the qualifications. And that's why it's important that he's still a man today. Because he's still our high priest. That's why we don't need earthly priests. We have our own instant access to the throne of God. Well, the original readers here, these Jewish followers, they were struggling. Because going to the temple and going back to Judaism, that was so concrete. They could see the temple. The sacrifices were being made. They could hear the sounds. They could smell the incense and the animals. They could see the priests. It was all very tangible. It was visible. So that was a pull for them. And, and that's really human nature, isn't it? I'm, I'm convinced that's why people still today choose outward ritual over a living relationship with our Father. But the writer here is saying, don't let that desire for what you can see pull you away. Instead, he tells them two things they should do, two things we should still do. Since we have this great high priest who's passed through the heavens, we should first hold fast our confession and then second, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Not many years after this was written, the temple would be destroyed and there'd be no more sacrifices and there'd be no more priests operating. That's the way it is with all of man's efforts. They're only temporary. But Jesus is our eternal great high priest. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 and 24, here's proof that he'll be a man forever. It says there, the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Jesus always will be a man because he always will be our great high priest. So hold fast. Get a grip on your confession. What you've said, you believe. What you gave your life to, hold fast now and in this new year, whatever it brings, good or bad, hold fast now and until you're in his presence, hold fast. Because we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. So when you say, Jesus, I'm struggling, he can hold out those nail-scarred hands and say, I know, I understand. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm struggling with temptation. And some people probably think, well, Jesus couldn't understand that. But no, Jesus faced temptation that was tougher than we do. See, temptation is sort of like a pressure cooker. So, so when we, we give in to it, the pressure's released. You know, we're tempted, the pressure builds, we sin, and then the temptation lessens for a period of time. But Jesus never gave in. 
Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. So the pressure never went away. It never lessened. He knew temptation greater than we know temptation. So he says, well then, yeah, but he doesn't know how I feel when I'm feeling guilty because he never sinned. But the amazing thing is he does understand guilt. He understands it completely because of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. As Jesus hung on the cross, innocent, completely innocent on his own, but as he hung there on that cross, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. It was so ugly. It was so terrible that he's literally described as being sin. Uh, Jesus knew and still understands guilt. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross. Jesus knows the pain of guilt because he carried our guilt, yours and mine. He understands. There's a story about uh, Booth Tucker. Booth Tucker was an evangelist back in the early 1900s, and he was speaking one night in Chicago, and he was on this topic of Jesus understanding and being sympathetic. And he got to the end of his message, closed the service, and a man walked up to him, stuck his finger in Booth Tucker's face and said, how dare you? If you ever had lost your wife, and your kids were crying every night for their mom who wasn't coming home, you would never stand up here and tell us how Jesus understands and is sympathetic. And he turned and walked away. What those two men didn't know at that time was that sadly, Booth Tucker's wife would be killed later that week in a train accident. And he got up to deliver the message at her funeral. He looked out over the crowd. He said, last week when I was speaking, a man came up and told me that I could not speak this message, that message on Jesus being sympathetic and understanding if I hadn't lost my wife. What I'd like to tell that man if he's in this crowd today is this is that Jesus completely satisfies. And he, he said, my heart's broken, but I'd like to tell that man, as I stand here, Jesus is meeting my needs. That man was there. And when the service ended, he came and he knelt beside the casket of Booth Tucker's wife and gave his life to the Lord. Jesus understands. He sympathizes. Unlike other religions and other philosophies, our God is close. Our God understands. 
See, to the Jews, God was distant. He was completely different. And in a sense, they were right in that. He's, he is completely different in his perfections. But what they missed was his desire to reach us, to know us. Think about one example of that. You've probably heard how the Jewish people wouldn't pronounce his name. And their desire to, to show how they viewed God is completely different than us. They wouldn't pronounce his name. So we still don't know how to pronounce it. We say Yahweh, but we're not really sure. But ironically, that name that they wouldn't pronounce was the name of God that was intended to convey his willingness to have a relationship with us. It was his covenant name. God wanted them to understand that he was close, wanted to be near, and they were putting up their barriers. To the Greeks, he was even more distant. He had the Stoics. They believed the primary attribute of the gods was apathy. Sounds like a fun group to belong to, right? Apathy. So they thought the gods didn't give a rip what was going on with us. The Epicureans, they thought the gods lived in a, in a paradise called Intermundia. And in Intermundia, the gods were having such a good time that they were totally unaware of what we go through. But our God, our Savior, understands. He came, left paradise, came and lived among us. And let me add one more thing here. I believe he would have understood completely and perfectly all that we face without becoming a man. Because he's an all-knowing God. But he became a man because he loves us so much that he wanted us to know. He wanted us to be assured that he knows and understands what we go through. That we would know he's sympathetic. So from his birth that first Christmas until now and for all eternity... He will always be a man who understands all that we face. And when we're in eternity with him and there's no more struggle and no more guilt and no more pain, we'll look at Jesus and we'll be reminded of his great love for us because Christmas changed everything. So hold fast to what you believe. Get a grip on it and don't let go. You're going off to college where some professor is mocking your faith and he seems like he's got all these arguments and, which probably aren't all really that impressive if you, if you listen to them carefully. But when you're listening to that professor and he's mocking your faith, hold fast to your confession. You're going through the loss of someone you love or you're facing some health issue or some financial issue or you're struggling with some temptation, hold fast to your confession and draw near. Draw near with confidence to his throne. Don't walk away from him. Walk towards him. And what you'll receive is mercy and grace that will help you in your time of need. We should all be so thankful that Jesus is still a man.
today. That we can know he knows and understands what we face. So hold on and draw near. If you don't know him and you want to know him, the good news is he wants to have a relationship with you, but that only happens by placing your total reliance on Jesus' sacrifice as payment for your sin and acknowledging that need to God. If you come to him, he's made the way possible. If you want to talk to a pastor, we're going to close the service after a final song. And we'll be back here in this room, what we call room one. We'll be glad to talk with you about that. Believers, that choice you made to follow Jesus, the best choice you've ever made, and you know that. Whatever you're dealing with now, ever will deal with, he knows and understands. He wants you to hold fast to your confession, to draw near to him. He loves you today. Just stand and we'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come into your presence, know your goodness, know your grace, know your provisions for us. And God, it's our desire to follow you closely, to hang on to you because we know, God, that you're hanging on to us. Help us to walk in a way that brings honor to you. For those that may not be here, have not taken that step of faith, God, I pray they'd take that step today. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for Jesus becoming a man, changing his circumstances for eternity because he loves us so much. God, I pray that you would bless these remaining moments of this service and our day ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.